evening and welcome to A Closer Look Inside Lehigh Valley Nonprofits. I'm your host, Laurie Hackett, and we are back again this month talking with nonprofit leaders, people who volunteer, and more importantly, people who are working together to make a real difference in the Lehigh Valley. Tonight, we are so pleased to welcome two great guests, as we always do, who are committed and passionate and dedicated to the Lehigh Valley. So our first guest tonight, so pleased to welcome, is Sarah Massaro, and Sarah is Director of Development for Safe Harbor Easton. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. We are so glad that you're here. I recently had the chance to tour Safe Harbor. It had been a while. We had a chance to connect, meet some of your colleagues, and see the incredible work that you are doing in Easton. So let's get started with that. Tell us about Safe Harbor. Sure. So Safe Harbor Easton uh, is a nonprofit homeless shelter. And one of the things that we really strive to be is a program-driven shelter. So we do have 50 beds. We're able to house 50 individuals each night. And that includes men, women, and also non-binary and LGBTQ plus sheltering options. But we really try to be program-driven. So what we are trying to do, you know, the root of our mission is to address the root causes of homelessness and the individuals that we serve. So not only to provide, yes, that very important shelter bed and three meals and clothing and toiletries, but also to help the individuals who stay with us to examine and identify how they became homeless in the first place, um, the things that led them to experience homelessness, and then to work on those things together in a therapeutic environment so that when they transition from safe harbor, they don't re-experience homelessness in the future. And thanks for that explanation. In your mission, I know you talk about success and stability. Mm -hmm. Could you chat a little bit more and share with our listeners how exactly do you do that? Sure, so, so we have kind of a multifaceted approach and that's because we're dealing with really complex and multifaceted problems. Um, so we at Safe Harbor, a lot of the times, call it the thing behind the thing, right? So someone may present uh, unhoused and there are, you know, there's reasons behind that, but there's no one overarching reason most of the time. And certainly, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that can come into play. We certainly see a lot of mental health. We certainly see a lot of substance use disorders. But we also see broken relationships and family traumas. And so when we talk about the thing behind the thing, you know, we're saying, what is it that ultimately led this person to experience all of these different things that then ended, culminated in, in them being unhoused? And a lot of the times that's trauma. Mm -hmm. So most of the components that we, you know, work into someone's stay have to deal with identifying and addressing that root trauma that then led to this, to this, to this. So we do that in a number of ways, one of which is our RISE program. So like I said, we're a program-driven shelter. Our main program is our ARISE program, and that is a three-phase program. The first six weeks when people come to us, they spend a good amount of time in intensive groups and classes, foundation building, life skills, um, you know, a lot of discussion-based and interactive work that we do um, to try to help them to kind of look at how they've come to this mm -hmm. place. And that's all staff and volunteer-led. Uh, they move into phase two where, you know, they're actively job searching, applying for housing. Um, they're doing that with an in-house case manager. So the second component is in-house case management. Everyone is assigned a case manager free of charge, and they, they do all of the tasks from helping to apply for benefits to helping people to budget and save their money. 
to sometimes having those tough conversations of, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I think this behavior or this pattern is really affecting you and how can we work on that together? Phase two also involves some introspective work that our, our clients do in collaboration with the Arise instructor. And then they move into phase three, which is transition phase, right? We've identified housing. We're getting ready to move out. We're doing furniture bank referrals. And as a part of those last couple months with us, a new component of the Arise program is that our clients are designing and implementing a community give back program before they leave. So that could be something that gives back to the safe harbor community, you know, something on our grounds or facility. It could be something in the greater community, like a cleanup project. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're asking them to, you know, give back to the community that has kind of supported them for the last few months while they have found their feet again. Um, So that's a big part of it as well. What a great description of the phases. And as you're talking, and again, I can just, your sincerity, your passion is just oozing here. So this is really relationship-based. It is. And I think that is one of the most unique things about Safe Mm -hmm. Harbor as a program and as a shelter. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the most debilitating parts of experiencing homelessness is the loss of belonging. You know, we as human beings are not wired to fly solo. (laughs) We are wired to seek connection, uh, meaningful connection. And we are wired to want to belong somewhere. And so when you experience homelessness, a lot of the times you are living in a community, but feeling very much so not a part of that community, and sometimes even a bit unwanted by that community. And so one of the first things that we try to establish at Safe Harbor is a therapeutic community space Mm -hmm. where people can feel that they once again belong, because only then are they able to let their guard down and start to talk about you know, talking about your trauma, talking about what led you to be in a difficult situation, doing honest self-inventories and owning your negative behaviors, like that's hard, uncomfortable work. And you can only do that effectively if you're in a space where you feel comfortable and supported. And where you have a lot of trust. Yes. Trust is huge. Trust is huge. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we're an uncapped shelter. Mm -hmm. So um, and what does that mean? It just just that there is no like capped length of stay. So you'll see right. a lot of programs where you right. have 30 days or you have 90 days. And while certainly we maintain accountability for people's progress while they're with us, we don't want folks to be with us longer than they need to. But we want them to have the time that they need right. to do all of the unpacking and the trust building that is necessary for them to actually make the changes that are going to allow them to have that success and stability long-term. Right, and everybody's journey is different. Correct. So, Sarah, how you're the Director of Development Mm -hmm. and your work with the people that you serve and your colleagues, you can just tell it's such a great fit for you. How did you come into this role? Completely by accident. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I think that's the best way. But I I actually, I'm a transplant to Pennsylvania from Connecticut. I came out here to go to college. I went to Lafayette. I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. And while I was there, I was a biology major. So I wasn't even really in the field that I'm in now. And I was doing an honors thesis my senior year. I had an extra class block. And I wanted to fill it with something that would be positive, you know, that would be giving back, Mm -hmm. um, but also that wouldn't give me any extra homework while I was doing my (laughs) thesis, if I'm being honest. And I was a student leader at the Community Outreach Center at Lafayette, the Landis Center. And so I stumbled across an opportunity to be an intern at Safe Harbor. And I ended up putting in 
just way more than the number of required hours because I fell in love with it. And when graduation came around, I had a difficult choice between going off to uh, a PhD program in biology or, you know, staying at Safe Harbor. And that's really where my heart was. So it should have been a harder choice than it was, <laughs> but it was, it was I, I ended up staying and I've been there ever since. And I'm very fortunate, I think, because I, I have really meaningful work. I have an amazing team around me. And, you know, I go, go to work every day and I get to feel like I've made a difference, which is really important to me. Can you love that story, first of all? Can you give us an example, uh, maybe recently, of an experience that you had that I love to ask people this question that reminded sure. you you are indeed exactly where you should be? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I mean, I that happens almost daily, believe it or not, for, for probably all of us. But yeah, recently, we had a young woman come in. And I think one of the things and we just actually posted about it on our Facebook a couple of days ago. I think one of the things that folks don't realize about Safe Harbor is we are an adult shelter, but we do have a lot of parents who are there who are working to reunite with kids. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had a young woman come in who had just been through just so much trauma and had really worked through things in the Arise class and had really opened up and was able to reunite with her child and is now, you know, coming back to check in every once in a while, grab her mail, um, you know, that oh. sort of thing, and and is seemingly doing really well. And so when you see that, you realize you've not only impacted that person's life, but a, a, a child, a family, right, their future. And that's just mm -hmm. one story. Mm -hmm. I, I have hundreds. And I think that's the ripple effect where we sometimes, I think, as professionals in this field go, this problem is so big. Homelessness is such a big systemic societal problem that there's certainly moments where you go, how can I, how can just right. this, our one organization, right. we're a drop in the bucket. And then you have moments like that where you realize, you know, it's like the starfish on the beach. Exactly. <laughs> you made a difference to that one who then made a difference to Correct. their circle. Right. And so the ripple effect, I think, is is really able to be felt when you look at it that yeah. way. Well put. Speaking of the ripple effect, I know it also takes a lot of organizations, the city of Easton coming together. Yes. And we talk a lot about that on this program, yeah. about the beauty of collaboration in mm -hmm. the Lehigh Valley. Can you share, are there a couple of examples or an example of agencies and other nonprofits that you collaborate with? Certainly. I mean, it goes without saying that we're very fortunate to have the support of you know, the county, the city, right? Our big, heavy-hitting partners, certainly. Um, but we also have, you know, partners within the community that support us in ways that are just invaluable, right? So we have local businesses like mm -hmm. Air Products that comes out and will serve a meal to our clients, right? And there's that tie into the sense of mm -hmm. belonging. Mm -hmm. People from my community have taken their time and their resources to come here and provide a meal for me, right? right. And, and the value of that, I think, sometimes can get lost in the day-to-day, -day, but it, mm -hmm. it's so integral and it's so impactful. You know, and, and other nonprofits, you know, working together to try to come up with creative solutions because it is a big problem mm -hmm. and it is a complex problem. So, for example, you know, yesterday we brought in a gentleman in partnership with Third Street Alliance, the mm -hmm. Women and Children Shelter right down the street, mm -hmm. right? They had a family come in, man, a woman, and a child, and they only had space, which capacity for all of us is a huge issue for the mom and the child. 
and we were able to house the father right down the street. Now, is that ideal? Like, no, obviously, but it's close enough, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not what we want, but it's it's enough, and it's going to make a difference for that family. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little example of, of ways that, you know, we're all trying to look and go, okay, how do we support? How do we fill? This is a gap, and maybe you have this piece, and I have this piece, and together we can fill that gap for this family. Perfect. How can the community get involved? We have a lot of listeners who are really inspired to volunteer. What are some specific ways that they could support the work of Safe Harbor? Sure. I think one of my favorite ways to see people getting involved is by coming down and providing a meal. You know, certainly we appreciate supply donations. We have a wish list on our website where um, we can list our most needed items, and that's very, very important. Um, But actually seeing people come down, get to see Safe Harbor, see the work that we're doing, meet our residents, Mm -hmm. and give our residents that gift of feeling that they matter to our community, that people are willing to take their time and effort to come down and spend time with them, spend time serving a meal or prepare food and bring it to them, whatever people are able to contribute with their time um, and the resources, it's just so appreciated. Um, So that's a big one. I'm certainly always there and happy to give people like a quick spin around the place, answer any questions people have, but just to come down and actually see the work that we're doing to see the folks that are there. It's a really humanizing thing for our clients in a time where sometimes that's not always granted to Mm -hmm. them. And what is the website for people to go and learn more? Sure. So um, we have our website at www.safeharboreaston.com. And also our Facebook page we're super active on. So if you are on Facebook, we're really active on there as well. Great. Sarah, we're at the end of our time, unfortunately. As we close out our time together, is there a message that you'd like to share about the important role that Safe Harbor plays in our community? Certainly. I think that what I'd like to share is our organization is a part, obviously, of, of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of the community, and we need the community in order to be successful in the work that we're doing. So please think about how you can get involved. If you see an opportunity where you might connect with, with our mission or some of our folks, we encourage you to do so. Um, they're wonderful people. There's wonderful people on our team, and we would love to have you get involved and to be a part of that with us as well. Great. Thank you so much. Again, we were joined tonight by Sarah Massaro. Sarah is Director of Development for Safe Harbor Easton. Thanks for this great conversation. Yeah, thank you again for having me. And we'll be right back. WDIY Allentown, 88.1, Lehigh Valley Public Radio. Many choices, real voices. Welcome back to A Closer Look Inside Lehigh Valley Nonprofits. I'm Laurie Hackett. And for the second part of our program tonight, we are thrilled to be joined by Shane McGee. Shane is a great volunteer in our community. Welcome, Shane. Thank you, Laurie. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, we know you also are a big fan and friend to WDIY as well. True. I've been a a longtime listener and supporter and more recently specifically of this program. So it is great to be involved in both aspects here today. Great. Well, thanks. 
And listeners, if you don't know him, Shane is involved throughout the Lehigh Valley with a lot of volunteer work. And tonight, though, we're going to talk about your role, Shane, as chair of the advisory board for Penn State Lehigh Valley. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you get involved? And what is the role of the advisory board locally? Yeah, so I think for listeners, if we start at the top level and go down, it's the easiest way to explain it. So hopefully your listeners have heard of Penn State University. Uh, Who hasn't? <laughs> Wait, how long is it going to be until you throw in a we are? Is that? I was thinking maybe for the ending. Okay, but, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so main primary campus at University Park and then uh, 19 Commonwealth campuses that makes up the organization. So one of those 19 campuses is Penn State Lehigh Valley. Two interesting points about that Commonwealth structure is the oldest continuous, uh, continually operating Commonwealth campus is Penn State Lehigh Valley. Out of all? Out of all the Commonwealth campuses, 1912 it was started. So I always find that a, uh, yes. an interesting point. And then the, the other interesting point is that 95% of Pennsylvania residents, 95% live within 30 miles of a Commonwealth campus. So it's a very effective model to uh, distribute educational services to, to most of Pennsylvania. And I know the campus here is relatively new. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so the campus is located in Center Valley, uh, approximately 900 students enrolled and growing, one of, the, one of the few Commonwealth campuses that is growing. They offer 11 four-year degree bachelor programs, which a lot of people don't realize. Mm-hmm. So everything from uh, rehabilitation and human services to information technology to criminal justice. And your role as advisory board chair, share a little bit about what that means and how, I know you're a fan, but how you got involved in that level of administration and leadership with the campus. Yeah, so each of those 19 Commonwealth campuses have what we call an advisory board. Uh, And the easiest way to relate it to it is it's basically a board of trustees without the fiduciary responsibility. That's held at University Park. So Penn State Lehigh Valley Advisory Board specifically is uh, about 20 individuals, and they're not all alumni. Uh, Many are, but that's not a requirement. But they have to be passionate about three things, Penn State, the Lehigh Valley campus specifically, and then our role in the community. And then our mission is also threefold for that advisory board. One, we advise campus leadership within our areas of expertise. Mm -hmm. Two, I call the three T's. We support the campus and students with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And then three, we advocate for the students and the campus services within the community. So you mentioned Penn State's role in the Lehigh Valley community. Certainly we know the role of a proud academic institution that offers so many degrees. How else does Penn State Lehigh Valley support the community or get out into the community? Right. So uh, one of the services I think folks aren't as aware of um, for Penn State Lehigh Valley and Penn State as a whole is the Launch Box Initiative. So there are 21 launch boxes across the Commonwealth, and they are early stage business accelerator programs for entrepreneurs. So Penn State Lehigh Valley Launch Box was actually one of the first uh, to open, if not the first. And they provide Lehigh Valley entrepreneurs the resources, the support, and the facilities that they need to build and grow sustainable businesses. And really the kicker here for me is those services are free to Pennsylvania residents and businesses. So somebody thinking about a startup can attend a LaunchBox program right here to learn the tricks behind it, best practices, insights. Is that correct? Exactly. So they offer different programs for what level the entrepreneur might be mm-hmm. at, how engaged they want to be. It could be a quick 
half-day seminar type situation, or it could be a multi-session program for someone that's a little bit more advanced. Great. And Shane, earlier when you were talking about the advisory board, you mentioned that you each bring your skills and your abilities to that board, depending on your area of expertise. What role do you play in that? What part of your professional work life do you bring to your role as a volunteer? Yeah, so professionally, I'm in the information technology field. Um, and to be honest, I don't bring a lot of that skill set to the advisory board, right? They have that skill set within Penn State. I think what, what I bring or what I hope I bring is a, is a leadership and a facilitation quality to the organization. So it's a very diverse set of backgrounds and professions uh, within the group and often pulling out the skill set that you need or facilitating that. I want to say it's a challenge, but it's something that's needed within that size group. Mm -hmm. And I know also your commitment to Penn State is deep. Uh, You attended there, and I know your family has a scholarship set up. I'm so curious because I know often we do have emotional attachments to our universities because when we went, somebody helped us, or it's where we met our lifelong friends or partners. Could you talk about for you, what was it that created this deep affection for Penn State? Yeah, and and before I I touch on that, I have to say that my wife Katie and I both support this jointly, right? This isn't for those situations. It's not a one person situation. It's a team effort, and she is a double Lehigh graduate. Oh, so she's uh, she's also supporting Lehigh, but also very uh, supportive of the Penn State situation. Uh, but for me. I was not in the best financial situation when I was a student, which actually, you know, most students are. So when I had the ability to help out, give back more recently, you know, I've jumped at the uh, the mm-hmm. opportunity because I know that need exists and, and existed for me when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And do you get the chance to meet students through your volunteer work at Penn State? I do. I do. We actually have two scholarships now at Penn State and, and the ability to hear the impact it has on them is just fantastic, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's one-on-one or whether it's in a group setting. We were just at a dinner for the recipients, not just for us, but for across the board. And one of the students summarized the impact to them, the financial impact to them, that it gave them the benefit to prioritize experiences over finances, uh-huh. right? And I'm thinking, well, when I was in college, I wish I had the ability to uh, prioritize experiences over finances because it's just such a critical element of education. Mm-hmm. And especially now, I think we know the importance of internships and externships and travel. Yes, without a doubt. And that is definitely what, for your listeners, that is definitely one of the opportunities if people want to become more involved, either advice, experience around that professional growth mm-hmm. standpoint, or actually offering internships mm-hmm. to students. Awesome. Shane, I know you volunteer in other places through the community. I've seen you wearing your kilts and pouring beer at Celtic <laughs> Classic and working at Music Fest as a volunteer as well. And I love it when you're proudly wearing your volunteer shirt. What is it about that? What is it either in your background, your upbringing, your soul that made you such a willing and giving volunteer? So I think for me, part of it is it the things we, my, my wife Katie and I volunteer for, it aligns to our lifestyle. It's things that we do on a regular basis that we support, that we believe in. So I think when you get that intersection of the opportunity to do something, you have the ability and the capacity to do it, right, which not everyone has at different stages in their lives. And you have the passion in the organization, right, whether it's Penn State 
whether it's Celtic Fest, whether it's Music Fest, whatever it might be. If you get the intersection of those three things, it's really a no-lose situation. And what would you say to other people who maybe haven't yet decided to get involved? Any other reasons about that you could help to encourage others? Yeah, so you know, you don't want to be you don't want to seem like it's a selfish situation, but I don't know if people realize that the the benefit that the volunteer gets mm-hmm. from the situation, right? It, it's nice to give back, and it's nice to be able to help out. But the the benefit that you get in seeing your work come to some fruition it is just it's fantastic, mm-hmm. right? So it's um it's really a win win situation. It's not a one way street. And would you also say it takes a little bit of study and self-reflection to decide, I'm committed to the mission of ArtsQuest. I'm committed to the mission of Penn State. So for you, those are great connections. Have you ever gotten involved as a volunteer and thought, this is great, but probably not for me? Has that ever happened? It has. So I volunteered in... For me, it's hard to say no sometimes. So mm-hmm. if you know the need is there, you know you can fill it, I'm often apt to say yes. And then you find yourself in a situation where you're a bit overstretched. Right. Uh, so I, I've been in, in some organizations where I knew it was not a fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the key for that is to realize it quickly and to find some sort of exit strategy where you're not just you're not just leaving, mm-hmm. right? So you're either bringing in someone that's maybe a better fit you're giving them some sort of exit plan um, where they're not kind of in the lurch. Right. Is there any advice that you could give also to people about how to take the skills that you learn volunteering and perhaps apply them to work? Yeah, that is a great question. I don't know if people realize that kind Mm -hmm. of that other other way in the street. So what I've found is when I'm, I'm volunteering or just working in different organizations, you meet a different diversity of people, different skill sets, different mindsets, especially, at least for me, working in a corporate environment, you don't always, at least I didn't in the past, see that diversity of kind of thought, mm-hmm. right? So I think for me, it really opens up your mind to some different different ways to think about things. Even when I'm volunteering at different schools, so if I'm doing something at Lehigh, and you have this Penn State mentality in your <laughs> mind, Penn State, Penn State, Penn State, you're like, oh, well, there are other schools, right, right. That, that offer great services and have great alumni bases. So it's that diversity of thought which is uh, really valuable. Shane, is there someone in your family, in your past, that you went to school with that helped to really instill this sense of philanthropy and giving in you? So I, I'd say it's more from my Penn State education from the professors um, that I've had and and the professors that I know at Penn State Lehigh Valley today that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. They really have this idea of supporting the student base and the community and the university and giving back where they can. So they're, one, they're they're doing this as their profession and their job, but they're Mm -hmm. also giving back from a philanthropy standpoint, um, whether it's monetarily or whether it's with additional services. Mm -hmm. So uh, it it really is impressive to see that from the faculty and from the staff. And speaking of that, I know recently Penn State Lehigh Valley did a capital campaign and you were very involved. Did you chair it? I was the co-chair with uh, Howard Culp. That's right. That's right. Well, congrats. It's beautiful. So asking for money is often difficult for people. And when we talk about volunteering, it's easy to say, I'll help serve a meal, I'll serve on a committee, but doing the actual fundraising is often difficult. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a skill set like anything else. What I've found is it's often easy. Well, in, in my thought, it's often easier to start with people you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for some yeah. people, that's not the easy. You'd rather talk to people you're not familiar with. 
But for me, it's been practice. So you you find someone that has a passion and, and, and uh, engagement with what you're talking about, right, with what the service is, and then you build from there. Absolutely. And I think if they see the passion and the interest and the sincerity in you, it's so easy to sell it, if you will. Yeah, what I've learned from uh, you know professional development directors at Penn State and other organizations, they are always adamant that they are supporting the cause themselves, right? right? They are an individual contributor to the cause. Because if you don't, and I don't really think about that in the beginning, but if you don't see that from the person mm-hmm. you're talking to, then why would you want to support that organization? Right. Well said, well said. Well, Shane, we are at the end of our time, unfortunately, already, I wanted to end with how can our listeners get involved? You mentioned Launchbox as an opportunity. You mentioned always looking for spots for interns or shadows from students. Any other ways that our listeners could get involved with Penn State Lehigh Valley? Yeah, so one of my favorite kind of intro approaches, and I've done this before, is if a person has a specific interest or skill set in the profession, it is to get hooked up with a instructor and become a basically a you know a speaker, a class speaker mm-hmm. in that area. Whether it's you know technical content in their area, whether it's professional development, and then that also ties into the launch box situation because they're always looking for people with skill sets in certain areas, right? Marketing, intellectual property, where they can be a coach or a, you know, a mentor to entrepreneurs coming through. So I think that's a very easy kind of intro into that volunteer mm-hmm. And we love the skills-based volunteering, and that's such a good example about it. You forget how much you know, what an expert you are, and how others can benefit from that. Yes, exactly, especially people just starting out, right? You, you don't always realize, well, you've, I've been doing this for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this, right, mm-hmm. 30 years ago, and that's where people really benefit from it. And then finally, Shane, how would our listeners get in touch? Yep. So this is where I have my notes. Um, so the, you know, the usual suspects of the, the website, uh, Facebook, Instagram, they're great resources really across the board for what your interest areas are. But three specific ones. So if people are interested in campus activity, uh, like the advisory board or the class speaker, the best contact is uh, Mandy Mowry. So it's email at a Mowry, M-O-W-R-E-Y at PSU.edu. Uh, Launchbox area, best contact is Cindy Evans, email at lvlaunchbox at psu.edu. And finally, if you're more interested in maybe uh, event-based, social-type situation, there's a great alumni association. Uh, The director is Kirsten Mears, email at lvalumni at psu.edu. Great. Well, listeners, again, thanks for that information, Shane. We've been joined tonight by Shane McGee, and Shane is the chair of the advisory board at Penn State Lehigh Valley, in addition to other volunteer opportunities throughout the Valley. So thanks for being with us. It was great. Thanks, Lori. We've been fortunate on this program tonight to be joined by Sarah Massaro, Director of Development of Safe Harbor, and Shane McGee, Advisory Board Chair of Penn State Lehigh Valley. Thank you again for tuning in and joining us. I'm Laurie Hackett, and look forward to seeing you next time on A Closer Look. If you enjoyed this program, please go to the WDIY website or app to share or become a WDIY member.